Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. This week's interview on Reveal is all about standing out. We hung out with Brendan Kane, who's an independent business owner and has worked in the film and entertainment industry, and he shares what to do and what not to do when it comes to grabbing attention from your audience and your buyers. So whether you're in sales and you're looking for ways to tell a more interesting story, maybe educating people up front about what it is that you do, or maybe just telling a story throughout your sales cycle, or if you're in marketing looking for ways to grow your audience, you're going to find specific actions and insights that you can put into play today. Now, there's three pillars that he breaks down, and I found really interesting, which is first, how to use hook points. Next is how to tell a narrative. And third is how to wrap it up so it all feels authentic. So with that, let's go ahead and dive into our interview with Brendan. I am super excited to welcome Brendan Kane here to reveal. Thanks for having me. It's great to connect with you and all the listeners out there. And just for a little bit of context... Brendan has a really interesting career, a little bit different than what we've had on the show before, but I think it's going to be a unique conversation. Um, you know, he's a growth strategist. He has specifically helped major corporations as well as a lot of celebrities stand out, um, you know, help these organizations stand out from amongst all the noise that exists out there in the market. Um, so I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, you know, point of view of how can we take some learnings from both the consumer space and how celebrities are able to get their messages out to consumers and bring that into the sales world. So with that, uh, Brendan, maybe, maybe you could give us a little bit of context on your background. Um, I know you studied filmmaking in college. What was it about the film industry that particularly drew you in? Yeah, so my background is, as you mentioned, is kind of different in the fact that I'm very much an experiential learner which is took me into many different facets of digital technology business. And the purpose of this podcast is like sales. And as you mentioned, I started off in film school. I really wanted to be a movie producer and learn the business side of the film industry and quickly realized that they don't really teach you anything about business in film school. So I kind of scrambled and felt the best way to really learn about business is start your own. And the most cost-efficient way at the time, and it still holds true today, is to start internet companies. So I started a few uh, internet companies while I was going to college just to learn and experiment. And then when I moved to Los Angeles back in 2005 to pursue a career in film, it's when the entertainment industry started to reawaken to the to digital after the dot-com bust. I basically saw an opportunity to stand out by leveraging my experience in starting those internet companies really to get my foot in the door and forge connections and projects and ultimately went from being an assistant making coffee to uh, building and managing digital divisions for two, two movie studios and overseeing 
the theatrical release of films ranging from 15 to $100 million budgets, uh, which also allowed me to work directly with the actors and the producers and the screenwriters on how to further syndicate their brand online. And I think through that process, I just really learned I was more cut out for entrepreneurship. So I left working in the entertainment industry and started building technology platforms and licensing them back to media companies. So I had built platforms for the likes of MTV and Viacom and Vice. That's where, especially like the MTV relationship, opened up the doors to work directly with big celebrities. So they introduced me to the likes of like Taylor Swift and Rihanna and built tech platforms for them. And then from there, got very involved in the paid media space and helped build a a technology slash uh, media buying agency that basically was optimizing spend for Fortune 100 and 500 companies uh, on top of YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and grew that very quickly from 300,000 in revenue all the way up to 100 million a year in, in less than three years. So that's kind of like the foray into how I got into the film industry and then got into other aspects of technology and social media and digital. That is super interesting. I am very curious what it takes to close a deal with Taylor Swift and with her board. Can you tell us about that? The the first thing to know is you're not going to close a deal directly with Taylor. Very rarely a celebrity at that size, are you going to get to them direct? I'm not going to say it never happens because it's happened to me in the past. Uh, We typically look at the different people around them uh, or the key decision makers but specifically with Taylor Swift. So I had this deal with MTV and they, uh, the executive I was doing the deal with is basically, you know, said, Hey, do you want to go and meet, you know, this musician, Taylor Swift. Now at the time she wasn't a huge global superstar. She was kind of on that inflection point because the first meeting that I had with them was the Grammys backstage. Uh, So it wasn't like she was a nobody, but I honestly didn't know who she was at the time. And the process to closing Taylor was, a bit of an arduous process. Uh, It took months. So we first started with with a meeting, meeting with a guy named Scott Bruchetta, who's been in the news because he ran the the record label. They sold the Scooter Braun called uh, Big Machine Records. So we had to go meet with him first. Then we had to meet with the father. Then we had to meet with the mother. Then we had to meet with the agent. And with each meeting, I had to really pay attention to what the pain points were or, or what, what the perceived pain points were across the board, across each of those meetings and, and really understand how they perceived the business and taking that information and changing my story and changing the way that I presented our technology uh, to each individual member in addition to a fact-finding mission to how Taylor Swift herself perceived the business and where she wanted to take it so that the, by the time I actually got to the meeting with Taylor herself, I was well prepared uh, of how I should go into it, how I should communicate with her. That's really interesting because at surface level, Brendan, I would have assumed there's a lot more differences in your level of expertise in working with some of these, you know, stars and, you know, B2B sales, but I'm already hearing a lot of, of overlap, right? Like, you know, value centric messaging, listening, uh, multi-threading and getting to the right people. Um, is there anything else that maybe as you're going through this process, getting to Taylor, or maybe with some of these other stars, any other unknowns you had to kind of learn along the way? Well, to me, where success 
and failure happen, the difference between those two, whether, as you mentioned, doing a big deal with a major corporation or a celebrity or even a consumer facing product is first and foremost, how are you going to stand out? Like, how are you going to grab attention? Like the world that we live in today is extremely noisy. There's over 60 billion messages sent out on digital platforms each day, which makes it extremely hard to grab that attention, especially if you're talking about somebody at the highest levels. Uh, first and foremost, you have to get the attention and just to get the meeting. And then once you have the meeting, you have to be able to, to start off that meeting in a way to grab that attention and then retain it as well. So that's where I look back on the past 15, 16 years. And a lot of people ask me the same question you asked me is like, well, how do you have success? Whether it comes down to closing Taylor Swift or MTV or even generating a million followers in 30 days or helping a company grow from 300,000 in revenue to hundred million. Really it's, it's, as you said, it's value and pain points and constructing your message that way. But ultimately it first starts with that first three to five seconds. What is that hook that you can get somebody to stop and say, Hey, this is kind of interesting. I'm going to listen to their story. I'm going to listen to the next part of the conversation And that's ultimately where I see companies uh, or individuals fail. It's, it's typically not that their product's not good uh, or that their story's not good is they don't know how to start off to win that first part of the conversation. And ultimately they never get to what is their value? What is their differentiator? I love that you started with grabbing their attention. Uh, it's very topical for me and Chino. We were both in a speech coach uh, session this week, and that is exactly what he focused on, was grabbing their attention early, and then just as difficult as keeping it. So I'm curious, Brendan, what is your formula for grabbing someone's attention in that three to five seconds, as you mentioned, and then maybe any tips you can share in terms of keeping it over a you know, 30, 60-minute meeting or presentation? So... Uh, I've detailed this all in, I spent the past year and a half, almost two years now, detailing all this information in my next book, uh, Hook Point, How to Stand Out in a Three-Second World. And really what I look at it is is there's three core pillars. And the first pillar is grabbing attention. And we use this tool uh, that's called a hook point. And a hook point is at its essence of how you grab that attention in that first three to five seconds. Uh, so that you can win the next 15, 30, 60 seconds, or so so on. You can win the next 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 60 minutes, whatever it may be. And there's different ways that you can approach really grabbing that attention. Uh, And there's one of the biggest mistakes, and I'll start with the mistakes that people make when they're attempting to do it, is uh, one is they're trying to push way too much information and overwhelm the person in the first three seconds. Like there's a lot of... A lot of great information about there, like Simon Sinek's your why or your purpose or your mission statement, your branding, all those things, which are critically important. But those are not the things that you lead with. That's not what's going to capture the attention of the first three to five seconds. Yet, most people will try and do that. Most people will try and convey everything about their brand, everything about their service in that first part to grab attention. And it doesn't work that way because of the amount of noise in there. We study this extensively. Uh, My team has generated close to 40 billion plus views online. We've generated hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue for our our clients. And we study what makes it successful or doesn't. And it's really that first three to five seconds. 
another big mistake that people make is they're saying the exact same thing in the exact same way as everybody else. So no matter what industry you're in or your product or your service, it's all been sent. It's all been done. And I come from the film industry. And like, if you look at the film industry, they're using the same story arcs, the same character development, the same plots over and over and over again. They just contextualize it different with the characters, uh, with the special effects, uh, all those different things. So first understanding that you are entering a competitive market, no matter what product you're building. And that's because you're no longer fighting against your direct competition. You're fighting against every piece of content out there. Uh, So you really need to develop what we call as a pattern interrupt and get people to stop and scrolling in their feeds and paying attention to what you're saying. So let me give you an example. Uh, Let's talk about meditation. So there's been a lot of tech companies uh, blowing up in the scene around meditation. There's a lot of meditation coaches and things of that nature. Meditation has been around for thousands of years. So Everything about meditation has been said before. And if I was creating an ad for a meditation technology or a company, where most people would go is with the traditional messaging is meditation is the key to success or meditation is the key to happiness or stillness or whatever you want to say. There's, it's been expressed millions and millions of times. If you typed in meditation into Google, there's probably over a billion results that will come up. So for me, I would go to, well, how can I generate that pattern interrupt? How can I get somebody to stop scrolling in their feed uh, to pay attention to it? And one of the tools that we use for that pattern interruption, and I'm not saying we use it all the time, and I don't recommend that you use it all the time, but it does work is subverting expectations, flipping what people commonly see about the subject on its head. So with meditation, I may stay, start out the first three seconds of the video ad by saying meditation is a scam. Now, I personally don't believe meditation is a scam because I've been doing it for 12 years. So I would start off the video by saying, have you ever felt or tried meditation and it just hasn't come easy to you or the expectations have been set so high and it just fell apart? Well, the reason that's happened is because you're probably getting misinformation. You've been given the wrong strategies to do it. So what I'm going to do in this video is I'm going to break down the things that I've learned over the years that has made meditation successful for me and all the people that use my technology work for them, even though it failed for them in the past. So what I did is, is I flipped it completely on its head and made it stand out for somebody that either has experienced meditation in the past, that it hasn't worked for them, that message will resonate. And even if somebody knows a lot about meditation, it'll probably get them to stop and pay attention to what I have to say. So that's the first pillar of it. Now, I'm not talking about clickbait because clickbait ultimately doesn't work for you if you don't have the substance to back it up. And that's where the second pillar comes in is to what is the story that you're telling? So now we have the person's attention. What is that story that we're going to tell that matches what we just grabbed their attention with and also retains them? through that. So we've got to develop these unique stories. And typically one of the tools that we use is kind of narrative based storytelling where there's a beginning, middle and an end, because as soon as we hear the word stories, like I want to tell you a story or, or you start breaking the information down in a storytelling technique, people are automatically trained from early childhood to want to know how the story ends. So that's the second pillar. And then the third pillar, which is, 
just as important, if not the most important, is are you doing it authentically? Is it coming off believable? Do people trust what you're having to say? So when we look at all those three pillars, if you don't have one without the others, it falls apart. So the first one of using a hook point and grabbing attention, if you don't have that, you'll never get to the story. Now, if you grab attention and your story is horrible, you're basically going to lose them. And third, if you grab their attention, you have a good story, but it's unbelievable or people don't trust what you're saying or if it comes off authentically, then it falls apart as well. So that's kind of the the three-pillar structure that I have followed for 15 years of, of doing this, of mastering attention and closing big deals or scaling from a consumer-facing um, end as well. LinkedIn has become the foundation of many B2B revenue teams engagement strategy. 94% of B2B marketers use LinkedIn for content marketing and 89% use it for lead generation. But just like every other digital platform, it's only getting noisier. Around 2 million pieces of content are published on LinkedIn every day. 2 million. That means sharing valuable insights and content is no longer enough to win your audience's attention. You need to create hooks that get people to stop long enough to listen to your story. Stay tuned to the microaction at the end of the episode for tips to help you cut through the noise. Those are phenomenal examples. Uh, thank you for the the breakdown. Uh, I'm curious, Brendan, when you said the the hook or you know presenting information differently, you, you happen to use meditation as an example. And there's a commercial I've seen for the Calm app. Uh, are, are you familiar with it? Where it opens up? Well, I'll, I'll explain to it for, for viewers who maybe not have, have seen it. But um, I was watching, I think, a basketball game. I'm pretty sure it's a basketball game. And so you're used to, you know, the sounds of what a basketball game sounds like. And you can kind of tell what commercials sound like. And so in the middle of a commercial break, it gets kind of quiet. And then there's just the sound of rain. And there's this timer uh, that goes around and kind of think it's like a 15-minute increment, whatever, you know, whatever slot they bought. And then it's just this very calming break in information, right? And so I've always noticed it, and then it cuts to, you know, the logos. You know, it's the call map for meditation, and, and I'm sure a CTA of some sort. Um, I, I'm curious, Brendan, if you're familiar with this and if that's exactly what you mean in terms of that that differentiating hook point of presenting information in a different way. Uh, so I'm definitely familiar with Calm and Headspace. Uh, we look at their, their Facebook ad library all the time. I'm not familiar with that specific commercial, but what you just said articulates that they use – that pattern interruption. So right. as you mentioned, like commercials typically follow, you know, a similar tone, a similar, you know, feel, a similar volume. And then they just throw in this, you know, this pattern interruption of just the sound of rain, a quiet sound of rain. So they're using that actual sound as the pattern interruption to grab their attention to then push to that CTA. So yeah, that's a great example. We, you know, with hooks uh, and hook points, and I can give everybody uh, that's listening to this access to a, a free masterclass uh, where we break this down in more depth over an hour and a half. Uh, but hooks can come in different forms. It can come in the form of, like you just said, sound. It can come in the form of a performance. It can come in form of a concept, a product or a service, uh, the, in form of text. There's many different ways that you can hook people in. It's really about choosing the right one for the right situation for the right audience. So you just broke down one that's perfect 
for TV. Now, would that same same ad work for a social media ad? Probably not because it's a different, it's that, that sound aspect, a lot of content, uh, especially when you're talking about Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or even TikTok, uh, it's, it's a lot of people are watching it initially with that sound off. Right. So that pattern interruption using the sound may not be the right tool, but for television, yes, it definitely worked in that instance. And I think the same approach and that same framework applies to the activities that sales folks are doing on a day-to-day basis. So whether as an SDR, you're sending an email to, you know, cold email to a prospect, what is the hook? What are you doing that's going to disrupt the pat? You know, you will be a pattern disruption for the person, the intended person that you're sending this email to. Um, is it a, is it a quick video? Is it a counterintuitive stat? Is it, you know, a photo, is there something else that they're not going to be as used to seeing in that moment in that part of their day? Um, or even a cold call that an SDR may make again to a prospect. Um, I'm curious if you have seen or are familiar with any interesting examples on that front of how we can think through pattern disruptions and that hook in our outreach to prospects. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had a lot of success. I mean, I've closed $20 million plus off of cold outreach on LinkedIn alone. And these were in small companies. I've closed like Disney, Fox, Xbox using that. And they're the, and it's amazing. Cause I just did a video, a YouTube video on LinkedIn and breaking down cold outreach emails that I receive. And it's, and it's kind of baffling to me, the, the messages that people send out where it just clearly comes off like they're trying to sell you something or they're trying to disguise the value in a sales. So the way that, that I really approach it, if I'm looking at it from a cold outreach perspective through email or through, through a LinkedIn cold message is first understanding the person that you're sending it to. It's amazing how many messages I will get where they don't even read anything about me. It just, you can tell with something, a message that they sent out to hundreds or thousands of people that aren't even relevant. So if you're going after like a big deal or big partnership is really understand the person on the other side of the screen is like, what are they experiencing on a day-to-day basis? What are their biggest pain points? What are their biggest challenges? Because if you can speak to a huge pain point or a challenge that they're facing and say, hey, listen, I know you're facing this problem. I know you're facing this obstacle or challenge, and I can fix it for you. That's of immense value. I mean, just think about us, today, me or you. It's like if, if we think about the biggest challenge that we face today or this month or this year, and somebody came to you and just said, hey, what if I could take that off your plate? What if I could solve that for you? Why would you say no to that? I'd be like, definitely, I want to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. So to me, when you're talking about people at the highest level is thinking about it in that capacity. Another tool that I use as a pattern interruption is actually showing that I've researched this person and, and recognizing their genius, recognizing something that they've achieved that has been uh, remarkable and calling it out and saying, Hey, listen, I recognize you achieved this. And I just want to say like, it's truly amazing. I, I've, I really admire it or I've learned a lot from it and then dive into that, that challenge or obstacle, or you can start specifically with that challenge or obstacle. So that's kind of the way that I approach it on, on working at the highest levels. I'd be curious to know, Brennan, if you have any tips for how salespeople can either start a, 
any any call, but you know, I'm thinking like a discovery call, uh, maybe a, a presentation, like a, a business case, or maybe even like a demo, right? And and I don't think it has to be you know too flashy for lack of a better word, or you know too gimmicky. But I'm just thinking is you know buyers have a ton going on. I agree completely. We're not just competing with other you know software vendors. We're competing for attention, and so. I'd love to know if there's ways that, you know, salespeople can stand out, really grab attention and then kind of loop in what you had just mentioned, which is, you know, by the way, I'm also very well versed in what you do and and how we can help. Well, first and foremost, I would never go into a meeting saying I'm very well versed in what you do and understand your business. There's so many salespeople uh, that will go in with, you know, egos about it. And like, it's interesting. I just did another video breaking down Shark Tank pitches and, like the one that I remember, the guy failed miserably. And the reason he failed miserably is he went in just trying to sell. He went in trying to pitch. And when people um, asked him questions, he wouldn't respond with a direct answer. He would just keep on the sales process. In addition, he never asked the advice of the sharks. Like you're going into that shark tank and you're sitting with very successful people and you never asked their advice. And it was like a product where he... He told them the price and I think it was Kevin Harrington was like, whoa, that's not going to work. And instead of going, hey, Kevin, okay, I respect your experience. I, re- I, I respect what you've gone through. How would you price this out? Or what would a price that would make sense that you think would be successful? He just kept selling. So one of the biggest mistakes that uh, salespeople make going into a presentation or a pitch is having a preconceived idea that I know this business better than them. I know their their challenges and their problems better than them. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do your due diligence. You should. But I always go in to a meeting or into a presentation starting by really understanding who am I talking about or talking to. How do they perceive the world? How do they perceive this meeting? What does their body language look like? What is their tone? Because that can tell you a lot about how you need to craft your solution, craft your presentation. And and I learned this over years of doing this. I would always go in when I was trying to close a licensing deal or a partnership with a preconceived deck or a preconceived demo and just dive right into it. And I eventually just learned that that just completely limits you on where you can take it. I was, I got to a point and I still in my business today is I never go in with a deck anymore. I never go in with a demo. I just want to talk to the person. I want to pay attention to them, get to know how they're perceiving their business. What are their challenges? What's going to make them look like a rock star to their boss, those things. And it doesn't have to take that long. Like you could do that literally in under five minutes, but that's the biggest mistake that I see salespeople make. And also where the largest opportunity is to really start off that meeting grab their attention, and then also make sure that you're taking the information that they're giving you and then retailoring what you're going to ultimately express value through. I think another um, way to translate some of what you're talking about in terms of this framework is over an extended period of time. When you look at a sales cycle, it's more than just one meeting. It's more than just one email, right? Like these are engagements that are happening over three months, six months, 18 months, how do you think about maintaining that attention over these extended periods of time? Again, it comes down to why does it take three, four, five, six months to close a deal? Typically, the reason is 
you have to sell other people or get other people on board. And then it's just repeating that process over and over again with the other people that you have to make that presentation to. So going back to the Taylor Swift example, you know, I had to go to four, four meetings before I could even get to Taylor. Uh, so that's typically why it is. If it's anything other than that, uh, and you're just dealing with the right person is again, understanding why it takes so long. Uh, is it because they are busy? Is it because they're dealing with legal or are they just not sold yet? Like it's really intently listening and reading between the lines of what is happening and then tailoring a response uh, directly to that. It's starting to sound like Brendan, your approach is really less about what you're saying, but more about how people are receiving it. A hundred percent. It's a, a majority of our success and a majority of the, the work that we do is with clients is it's not about, it's not so much about the content. It's the context is how can you make sure that your message is being received? How can you make sure that your message is being heard? How can you make sure that your message is being understood? And a lot of the work that we do, we use a lot of human psychology, understanding the subconscious, understanding uh, different communication frameworks, understanding different words and phrases that you can use based upon somebody's personality. And also if somebody's in a state of distress, seeing this, the sequence that they go through to be in a state of distress and how you get them out of that distress to be to be in a healthy state of mind so that they can receive the information that you're trying to get across to them. So that's interesting you bring up psychology because my favorite part of sales and marketing is the psychology part of it. And, and the reason why is, you know, you can sell to someone who's a, you know, CIO, a CRO, CEO, big, big business, small business. And I think a lot of times we, you know, say the words like persona or ICP. And we think that these human beings are so drastically different just because one manages 10,000 people and one manages, you know, a, a salon down the corner. But really, you know, we're all the same when it comes to the levers that work at a psychological level. I'd love to know some of those examples you kind of just hinted at. If you've got a few, maybe that work for, you know, uh, oral presentations versus written or, or anything that you think uh, would, be, would be worth sharing. Well, one of the frameworks that we have integrated into our, our business and we train our clients on really helps identify the, the different ways that people perceive the world. So, for example, 25 uh, or 30% of the North American population perceives the world through feelings and emotion. And then it's 25% uh, perceives it through thoughts and logic. 10% perceive it through uh, values and opinions. And, and there's more to it. I'll just start with those because those are kind of like the biggest. Uh, or, or, and there's also 20% that view the world through, through just reacting to it. And so what we do is we identify who is the person that we're speaking to, how do they perceive the world, what is the language that they use. Uh, and uh, that dictates how we present the information. So there's there's certain perceptions or the way that people perceive the world that you can actually tell them what to do versus others. You have to use a requestive channel and ask them question and ask them for permission. There are certain words like people through that perceive the world through values and opinions. They want to know that they can trust you. So you've got to express how committed you are to their success and that you believe in their product versus uh, 
thoughts and logic. And you guys started off this of saying that there's a lot of data and facts and things that you per you uh, express through these podcasts. Is, so we, for those people, we need to make sure that we have the data and the facts and that it makes sense for the people that perceive the world through feelings and emotions. Like how does it make them feel? We've got to make them feel comfortable. We've got to get them to visualize how it would feel to work with us or to have a certain success. So that's one way that we use understanding human behavior and structuring our messages either in the boardroom, uh, on a podcast interview, in an email, in a cold outreach to make sure that we are speaking the language that allows them to fully receive our message. And also if we don't understand them, like let's just say we're sending, uh, we're creating an ad. We want to make sure that 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 message is diversified in such a way that we can hit the different ways that people perceive the world and bring them in, uh, bring them into the larger conversation that we want to have with them. And then for folks who are curious to get started on this journey to learn more about breaking through noise, what suggestions do you have for them or what sources uh, to to gather some more information on this topic? I would start with uh, the free masterclass. So I'll put the the link in the chat for you. It's hookpoint.com forward slash masterclass and dive into that. It's an hour and a half of that. And then from there, if if they're interested, uh, checking out the book, uh, hook point how to stand out in a three second world and they can get that at hookpoint.com uh, or they can get it on audible if they prefer prefer that medium as well and we ask all of our guests one final question which we'll ask you as well how would you describe sales in one word value i i just i don't even i don't even the the word sales makes me cringe to tell you. <laughs> because not because it's, I understand it's a means to an end, but so many people use the word sales and then try and sell. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never tried to sell anything in my entire life. It's like, I don't close big deals because I try and sell. It's like, because I try and understand who the person is and what they need and then try and help them. So I would say it's either, it's either, it's either value or it's help. That's great. We'll take two. Yeah, we'll, we'll take it. And, and after talking to you today, that, that definitely makes sense uh, and, and aligns with what you're saying. So uh, we appreciate it, man. Well, well thank you, Brennan, for, for stopping by Reveal. I definitely learned a lot. Um, maybe want to go write some hook points for some upcoming content that I have and uh, make sure that I'm delivering uh, you know, value and really understanding how people receive the content so I can get better at it. Great. Well, it was, it was a pleasure connecting with uh, you and all your listeners. And hopefully uh, there was some value delivered today. Thanks. Thanks, Brennan. This week's microaction is all about grabbing attention. Brennan shared his three pillars of mastering attention, hook points, story, and authenticity. Before you publish your next LinkedIn post or piece of content, ask yourself, is there a pattern interrupt? Something unexpected that will get people to stop scrolling and pay attention to what you're saying. Next, Once you've gotten their attention, are you telling a unique, compelling story that will keep them engaged? And lastly, is your story believable? Will your audience trust what you're saying? Test these out over the next few weeks as you create content on LinkedIn or in other places and see how it helps your engagement. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. 
five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.